Isn't it good to be part of a church family like ours? Man, I, I, I love you. I'm so glad to be here this morning inside where it's climate controlled and not raining. And I'm so glad that we get to be a part of what God is doing in just a small little way. You understand, I say this so often, I hope you don't get tired of it, but I cannot get over the fact that we get to be part in just one small way of what God has been doing since before time began. We are caught up into something this morning that is incredible, church. Never lose sight of the fact that your God called you and now is gathering us and sending us out to be part of his mission. And it's just exciting, exciting, exciting. Whew, I'm ready to preach. Here we go. Hey, I want to begin this morning with just, just a bit of a confession. Uh, about a week ago, Lindsay and I got to do one of these wonderful things. I don't know if you've ever done one of these things. Uh, but this was just this m magnificent exciting thing. I'll tell you what it is. We got to go on, it's so incredible, we got to go on a date. It was awesome. Without kids, without anyone else. We had a couple hours just to ourselves. And, and if you're relatively young in the whole parenting thing like we are, you, get, you just relish those moments and it's exciting. And so we went on a date. And when we went on this date, we had a couple of rules. Yes, we are that couple. We make rules for our date. Here are the two rules. Are you ready? First rule, we will not talk about business. So if it has to do with bills, home repairs, scheduling conflicts, uh-uh. We're not going to talk about it. The second rule, we will not talk about our children. We will not talk about school. We will not talk about scheduling conflicts. We won't even talk about how cute they are. That was the plan. We would just stare intently into one another's eyes and talk and connect. And we did for about three minutes. And then we ran out of things to say. And then we sat at this table at a great little restaurant. And as they sat us down at this restaurant, they put two people at a four-seater table. We have four people in our house. And so now we're sitting there, just my wife and I, looking at each other with two empty seats. And so now not only are we thinking about our kids, but now we have a visual illustration of the fact that our, our table is not full that the two little people are not there. And I don't know if you're like us, but in those moments, it's inevitable that your conversation circles back around to those who are not present because you love them so much. Now, no offense, we didn't talk about anyone else here. It's not that we don't love you, but we don't live in the same home with you. So when we don't see you at our table, it doesn't register as much. But the closer someone is to your heart, the harder it is not to think about them when they're not present. If you want a picture of the story of human history as the Bible describes it, that is the picture 
And that is what we have been walking through as a body here for a couple weeks, this idea of circles, these communities. They're greater, they're more powerful than simply gathering in receptive rows to receive teaching, to receive encouragement, but in a circle. It's not side by side, it's face to face, walking together, loving on each other, sharing and helping. That's how the Bible begins. Let me give you a visual to walk you through the scope of human history this morning. The Bible begins with the first circle. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community, in relationship together. They love each other. They know each other. And they say, hey, this is so good. Let's make more little people, things that can be part of our community. And so God makes the first man and the first woman. And they draw the man and woman into community and say, you get to be part of what we're doing here. And then God says to man and woman, now you're going to have lots and lots of kids, but, but don't worry, as there are more people, we'll make space for them in our circle. And God says, because the whole idea is that you'll be little image bearers, little zealums, little pictures of us, and you will not simply cover a part of the world, but you will continue to grow and expand. And don't worry, there will be room because we're going to make space in our circle for more people until God's plan was that the entire world would be covered with His glory. This is what Habakkuk talks about, the great Old Testament prophets. This was God's plan, but the problem was mankind decided, well, we decided we did not want to be part of God's circle. And so God says we cannot, we will not, we cannot rest until this circle is filled with humanity because like any good parent, when a child is absent, God could not help but talk about you and talk about me and talk about our city, Chattanooga, and our country, America. You understand, although there are many who are Christ followers, America is a lost nation. It is full of people who are outside of the circle of God. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I want to reclaim those who have walked out of the circle. And so Jesus Christ is sent. And he says, let me show you what a perfect circle looks like. And he gathers around himself 12 people who will be his inner circle. And as we said last week, these are not perfect people because you do not need a perfect group of people to live out God's perfect plan perfectly in your life. And so he gathers them and he says, hey, our purpose is God's plan. We are going to be about creating space in our circle for more people and more people and more people. And the process that Jesus went through was prayer that it was only going to be through God's help that more people would come to faith, come to join the circle And then Jesus says, now I'm about to leave. I'm going to go back to the Father. I've already died for you. I've risen for you because even death can't defeat this circle. But as I go, I am sending you, Jesus says, and I want you to continue creating circles, communities that reflect the life-giving community of God, Father, Son, and Spirit so that this entire world would be covered and encased 
in the circle of community of God. That is the story of human history. And so in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8, these are the words, the final instructions of Jesus to call you and me to be circle makers who expand the ever-increasing circle of God to our neighbors. This is what happens in Acts chapter 1. It says this, So when they, talking about the followers of Jesus, with Jesus, So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive, say that word with me, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Notice these words. You will be my witnesses in these areas in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this is the picture of what happens when a group of people, when a circle gathers on the purpose of God through the process of prayer, the potential continues to grow. Now, here, here's sort of a way to think about these three verses. Verse 6 and 7 is really a picture of Jesus' followers living and acting like a bunch of high-energy children on their way to grandma's house. They're on a trip with daddy Jesus. They're in the back seat of the car. Parents, you know what this is like. You've got your kids in the back seat. And what are your kids doing on a long trip? Are we there yet? This is what's happening in verse 6 and 7. They're saying, Jesus, are we there yet? Is it time, Jesus? Are you ready to establish the kingdom of God on earth? Are you ready? Is it time for us to push out the Roman opposition? Is it time for us to get rid of all of them and have the kingdom here? And underlying that question is really this question. Jesus, hey, as you do this, what's this mean for us? What do we get out of following you here? Now, here's the thing I love about Jesus. Do you notice he doesn't really answer their question in a way they may like? In fact, he responds to their question here in the way that he does almost always whenever someone gets a little too excited about what's coming. Um, Periodically, we will have people who claim to know when Jesus is going to return. Show of hands, how many of you remember in 2012, we were told that the Mayan calendar said the world was going to end in 2012? How many of you remember 2012? By the way, are we still here? Yes? No? Yes? Here's the deal. Every once in a while, someone says, hey, we, we know when God's coming back. We know when the earth is going to end. And guess what? No, we don't. In fact, even if you somehow by luck guess the right date, you don't get any prize for it. It's not like when you get to heaven, there's an announcement. They just guessed the right date. Bring them down. And you get to skip past everyone else. Hey, folks, hey. And you go in first. There is no prize. And so whenever Jesus' followers get a little too excited about the future, he does what he does here. He says, listen, God's going to take care of the future I'm calling you to live right now fully in the present of what God is wanting to do. Heaven's coming. You hang on, absolutely. But live 
for God today. You remember the moment at the end of the Gospel of John when Peter, one of Jesus' followers, sees another one of Jesus' followers, a guy named John, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, what's going to happen to John? And Jesus says, don't worry about John. You focus on being obedient to me today. That's your only job. And so he says to us what he says to them, your job is to be about God's business today. Focus on what he has called you to. Now notice what Jesus tells them to do in verse 8. Nothing. In fact, if you roll back to verse 4, he says to wait. Go to Jerusalem, go to your home base, your hometown, and wait for God to send the gift that he promised, the Holy Spirit, because in verse 8 he says, you wait on this gift, for when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. That word power is the Greek word dynamis. Does that sound familiar to any of our, Greek, or our English words? Dynamite. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive the explosive power of God to do that which is impossible on your own. You wait, and God will come. He'll fill you. He will empower you. He will give you what you need to do what He has called you to do. In fact, if you want to take verse 8, this little verse right here, this is an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. This is really an outline for the rest of human history. So in chapter 2 of Acts, you have the followers of Jesus going back to Jerusalem as Jesus told them to. They wait, they gather in an upper room, and they desperately begin to pray, God, send us your spirits, give us what we need. We cannot do this without you. And so in Acts chapter 2, God sends his holy power. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind and appears like tongues of fire over their heads, and they are empowered by God's Spirit. And they begin to witness, to share what they have seen and heard. Peter stands up, gives the first gospel message. 3,000 people respond. God saves 3,000, and the church is born. And what begins in Jerusalem begins to expand from where they are to the rest of the world. Chapter 8 you now have the gospel being presented in Samaria. Philip, one of the apostles, takes the gospel to Samaria. Philip also interacts with a man from Ethiopia. And so now, as he shares the gospel with this Ethiopian, the Ethiopian takes the gospel from Jerusalem down into the heart of the continent of Africa. So we now go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the world. Chapter 9 of Acts, all the way through the end, you have it expanding and expanding through the conversion of a man named Paul, who on the road to Damascus meets Jesus, is saved, and is given the mission to share the good news throughout the Roman Empire. And so throughout Acts, he goes from place to place, expanding and sharing the gospel of Jesus with the rest of the world. This is a picture right here of God's powerful potential and what He's calling us into. See, as we've been talking about circles are greater than rows, what you need to understand is a circle inherently has more potential than rows because as people gather together, 
God works on us, grows us, changes us, and gives us opportunities to live out what we have experienced one with another. Do you remember Jesus' words to his followers? He says to them, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. And as you love one another, this is the way the world that watches to see if what you say is true. This is the way as they watch how you care for one another. This is the way as they see you stepping into difficult conversations boldly with one another, but you do so with grace. The world will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So the circle grows. And he says, you're going to be my witness Interesting thing about witnesses. In the courtroom, you rarely see anyone who volunteers to be a witness. In fact, people who are real quick to want to volunteer to be a witness are often met with skepticism because a witness must be someone who has been there, seen it, experienced it, not someone who is making up what they have encountered. And so Jesus says, you will, by virtue of what you have seen, heard, and experienced, have something to share with others that is so compelling. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us confuse being a witness to apologetics, telling our testimony to defending our faith. These are complementary, meaning they work together, but they're not the same thing. Apologetics, uh, this is the, uh, it's a discipline of philosophy, of psychology, of various parts to be able to explain why you believe what you believe in a compelling way, answering the questions. And what happens is most of us are afraid that our friends who do not yet know Jesus are going to ask us questions for which we have no answers. And so we don't share. But here's the reality. Yes, some of your friends are going to ask you questions that you do not have the answers. And if it's important to the conversation, you will go, you will study, you will talk with another friend who's a Christ follower, you will ask them questions, you'll gain what you need and you'll go back and share. But here's the point. Jesus did not say to his followers, I want you to give apologetics. He simply says, I want you to tell people what you've already experienced. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, heal a man? And the, 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 the religious leaders grab Peter and John and they say, what are you doing talking about Jesus? They arrest Peter and John. They beat G, Peter and John for talking about Jesus. And then they say, you must not talk about this Jesus anymore. And Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20 say, we can only Share what we have seen and heard. We're only going to tell what we've experienced. You are not called necessarily to defend every question. You are simply invited to share what you've already experienced, church. Now, here's here's the thing. I don't have to tell you how to share good news, do I? Um, It's not uncommon that uh, a young couple will come up and say, guess what? We got engaged. And you know how I know that they got engaged even before the words are out of their mouths? The young lady comes to me and her hand is floating in midair like this. And it's always done sort of in an awkward but, you know, very casual way like, oh, how are you? That's good. 
oh, this, oh, oh, this is the universal symbol for I just got hitched, right? You don't have to tell a young couple how to share good news because it is good news to them. They want it to be shared broadly. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you are grandparents? Can I see grandparents' hands? Go ahead, keep your hand up real high. I want to see all grandparents. Now, keep your hand up if, 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 if. If you have ever shared a picture or shown a picture of your children or grandchildren to someone else, grandparent, hands up if you've ever done this. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand for this, many of you learned how to use social media just to post pictures of your grandchildren for all of us to see. Some of you did not know what a computer was until you had that first grandbaby, and now you can teach us how the Facebook algorithm works so that the most people will see your picture of, oh, isn't he cute? He's spitting up. Oh, he's great. We don't have to teach you how to share good news because good news is easy to share when you have experienced it. So maybe that's where we need to pause for some of you. I'm going to keep talking, but some of you may need to pause at this one point. Is it possible the reason you find it difficult to share, to witness, is not because you don't have the right technique. It's not because you don't know what you should do. Is it possible the reason you don't share is because you don't yet have the relationship, the experience to share? And for some of us here in this room, if we struggle with sharing, it may not be about learning more technique or ways, but it may simply be to say, God, I need your power in my life. Before I try to share, I need to have it. Would you give that to me? And for some in here, you just need to meet Jesus Christ. And in about six minutes, we're going to give you a chance to do that. But here's what you need to know. Your witness is dependent on what you have personally experienced. Now, after Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he lays out for them a, maybe just what we call an outline. And Jesus shows them something with three concentric circles. In fact, if you will, go ahead and grab your bulletin, and on the back of it, I'm going to invite you to do this on your bulletin. Jesus effectively gives us three circles of influence. Now, the very first circle he gives, this middle one, is Jerusalem. He says, where you begin sharing, where you begin expanding the circle of influence is going to be in your hometown. Begin where you are. He then moves on. He says the second circle, this one right here, well, it's Judea. Judea is space that's not right next to you, but full of people who are very much like you. So it's maybe a little bit further out, but it's, it's people who are similar. There's another part of this second circle. It's Samaria. Now, interestingly enough, in the original language, there is no and between Judea and Samaria. Rather, it's just Judea, Samaria. Because Judea and Samaria were regions that were adjoining. They were connected. 
Samaria was full of Samaritans, men and women who had grown up Hebrew from centuries past, but when they came into the promised land, they began to intermarry with the pagan culture. And so now, centuries later, you have those who are Hebrew, who are uh, faithful to Yahweh, and those who are a part of lineage of intermarrying. And so there's a lot of hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. These were the thems. And Jesus says, you are going to be my witness, not just to people who are like you, but people who are the thems. And then the final one, he says out here, he says, and you're going to be my witness to those who are all the way the end of the earth. These are the people that you don't have a clue how you will interact, but there will come that moment, that interaction. Perhaps it won't be even just you personally, but by your generosity or your participation with the body, sending other people to places where Jesus is not yet known. Now, here's what's incredible about this. This expanding circle of influence can be laid on top of any person in any culture and work brilliantly. It doesn't matter your cultural background, this works. So let's just think for a moment here. Jerusalem, if I were to ask you, what is the inner circle of your life, the closest group of people, most of us, we might just put the word home. Home. This is going to be ch parents to children, husbands and wives to each other. You might also think of really very close friends, people that, you know, th these are the people who have refrigerator rights with your home. You know people like that? They walk in, they open your refrigerator, they get what you're eating, even if you've not let them do that. These are those close people. This is your Jerusalem. Uh, what about Judea? Well, Judea is going to be people who are like you, but a little bit further away. So, for instance, these are your friends at school. These are your coworkers that you have common interests, common background. These are people who go to your gym, are a part of the same hobby that you are a part of. These are people who are like you, but a little bit further from you. What about Samaria? Well, if you are a UT fan, Samaria will be Alabama, okay? <laughs> Samaria is the thems, people who are a little bit further from you who are not like you. This is the group of people that you would never think to draw into your circle. Or put it this way, this is the group of people you would never think about inviting into your home. Who's your them? You understand we all have a them, right? But interesting thing, Jesus, although he understood that the Jews and the Samaritans, there was this animosity, he said there is no such a thing as a them with God. This is why in John chapter 4, when the woman at the well were told that Jesus had to go through Samaria to show us that there is no one who is so far separated from God that he cannot draw them back in. We are all alike. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And the only difference between someone who is a Christ follower and someone who has yet to receive the good news is simply that we have said, I am a sinner and I have received the grace of God. There is no them. There is only us. Can I get an amen from anyone? And so he says, 
your Judea, their school, your work, your play, those who are farther but may not be like you. And then the ends of the earth, this is going to be, in many cases, uh, missionary efforts, uh, going to various trips, but it'll also include those rare encounters with people from different cultures who happen to be here. We have an incredibly difficult time getting more and more missionaries into Muslim worlds. And yet, many from Muslim nations are now moving to Tennessee and even into Chattanooga, which means that the ends of the earth, for many of us, is at the end of your driveway. This is what it means to expand the circle. Now, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to do something for me. I want you to start putting names on these places. I want you to take a moment. Go ahead, grab your piece of paper. Who is it in your Jerusalem that God this morning is saying, I want you to share your good news that Jesus saves? Who is that person in your family that right now needs Jesus? Who is that close friend right now who needs Jesus? Go ahead and put their name on there. We'll take time. Who is your Judea? Who is the person that is like you but a little bit further out from your close friends and family? Who is that person that needs Jesus, that Jesus this morning is saying, I want you to expand the circle and draw them in? Who's the Samaritan in your circles? Perhaps you're in a golf foursome. Who's that one guy, that one person who's just prickly? And, and, and he's in your foursome, but you can't really get, get rid of him. What's that name? What's the person who may be the ends of the earth, and maybe it's a missionary that you're going to begin praying for who is going on behalf of our church? But here's what you need to understand. The potential of these circles is drawn from the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through Christ followers simply witnessing the goodness of God. So when Jesus opens a door, when, when you see an opportunity and he says, just say something about me to this friend, you trust that in that moment he will take something you've said that you don't even know you're saying for this person. And there will come a time Weeks, maybe months later, that person will come back and say, do you remember when you said, said this? And, and it was such a small thing in the middle of this conversation, but when you said this, I, I don't know what happened, but my eyes just opened. I saw something I never saw before. I experienced something. God will use you, church, as you will open your mouth. He will open the circle wider and wider so that the good news of Jesus envelops more and more. Now, I know some of you, this sounds exciting, and for others, this is terrifying. And for some, it's both. I had a great conversation with a good friend of mine about a week and a half, two weeks ago on this very topic. Uh, I sat down to lunch with a member of our church who he and his family, they're, they're doing a little moving around. They're, they're going to be flipping some houses and doing some other things. And during this short season, my friend was saying, he's like, hey, what do we do to belittle kingdom people who are making circles. He didn't use these words, but this was the idea. How do, we, how do we go into a place, into a neighborhood for a short period? How do we just kind of like just blow up the light of Jesus so that more people know Jesus? And then when we leave, there's a circle of Jesus people. 
And so we talk through it, and there's going to be some training, there's going to be some encouraging, there's going to be some resourcing. And here's what I want you to know. God is already moving in the lives of our members to begin seeing this and enacting this. Some of you I've talked to, even this past week, who are already expanding your circle in your neighborhood. Some of the conversations that I'm hearing about you stepping out, simply sharing the name of Jesus with a friend in a life-giving way, and in that moment, God's using your simple witness to win a life for eternity. Here's what you need to know. God wants to extend his circle, and it is through his church. I don't know why he chose to do it through his church, but he did through his church. The circle of God will continue to expand until we're told in the last book of the Bible that one day, circled around the throne of God, will be representatives from every tribe, tongue, and nation of which you and me are a part. I once was outside of the circle of God. How about you? And someone spoke. They invited me in, they pulled up a chair, and they said, there's a seat here for you. And now you have opportunity to take your circles and invite someone else into the circle of God.